Well, as you know, a lot of trouble going on in our land. You know, people are... I read an article today that uh, Hillary Clinton said that the Democrats need to uh, continue to be violent and not have civil conversations with Republicans. And it uh, seems like nobody wants to have civil conversations with anybody. And uh, she said until they gain control of the uh, either House or Senate, they don't need to have civil conversations. Seems like we've been yelling at each other and people are mad at each other all the time and you can't read the news without getting upset with somebody and you listen to the news, it makes you mad at the newscaster, at the people who said it and all the way through, it just it's just trouble. I read this scripture this morning and I thought I'll read it tonight. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 6, Jesus said, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It's an interesting statement. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said, see that you be not troubled. Isn't that an amazing statement? You know, we think, well, we can't help it. We can't help it. Well, if we couldn't help it, Jesus wouldn't have said, See that you be not troubled. See that you be not troubled. In other words, it's my choice to decide if I want to be troubled. The word troubled here is to clamor. It's a loud, confused noise from people shouting vehemently. Now, does that sound like anything you've seen on the news? Loud, shouting. It means to be frightened. Being troubled is a matter of choice. It's, we can choose to be troubled. That means we can also choose peace. When Jesus said see, the word see in the Greek means to stare at, to discern clearly, to attend to. He says there's something you've got to look at. You've got to attend to some things. We can make the choice to see the world's reality, or we can make the choice to see the word's reality. If we look at what the word says, we can be people who won't be troubled by what we see with our physical eyes. We need to attend to the word. Proverbs chapter 4.20 says we're to attend to it, to pay attention, to lean into it. Not pretending the trouble doesn't exist because that's foolish, but calling for the word's promise to take the place of the trouble. We call on what God said. We call on his promise. We're to discern the word in the situation. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 27. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So Jesus is the one who's telling us. He said, Don't let your heart be troubled. I mean, he said in another place that, that men's hearts will fail them for fear. I mean, people, people are, will be having heart attacks all over the planet because of fear. But Jesus tells us, he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He gives us peace that passes understanding. He gives us peace. The, the Greek word for peace is the word irene, and the Greek, that word is very similar to the word shalom in the Hebrew. And it talks about being complete. It talks about not lacking in anything. Jesus says, I'm giving you completeness. 
I'm giving you something that doesn't, it's not missing anything. Not like the world's peace, because the world has what they offer as peace, but it's missing something. It's missing what he has promised. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Again, Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, these things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I like the way the Amplified Bible says it. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you'll have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Isn't that the truth? He says, that's what, that's what the world offers you, but be of good cheer. Then the Amplified defines be of good cheer. It says, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Now, that's a promise. The world has been deprived of the ability to overcome us. We have to recognize they can have all of their fighting. They can have all of their stuff. They can be up in arms. We can have peace. The world system does not have the power to overcome what's inside of us. I love it in John chapter 1 when it says that, 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 that Jesus as the light, it says, it, it says that, that, um, that he came into the world. It says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The word comprehended is, doesn't mean it didn't understand it. It means it couldn't overcome it. Darkness can never overcome light. The only thing that's faster than light is the speed of darkness fleeing from the light. It has to leave fast. I mean, it has to go. And so we understand that as light in the world, that light in us can't be overcome with darkness unless we allow it to take place. Man, Jesus said that. He said, let not your heart be troubled. It's my choice. We can have peace in troubled times because we talked about last time, we are the blessed. The blessing of the Lord is not stuff. You know, how you doing? I'm blessed. What does that even mean? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Well, we said the blessing of the Lord last time, we, we defined it as as, as the, empower, the, the, the empowerment of, from God to rise to the highest place of our calling. And it exists on the inside of us if we receive it by faith. The scripture says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. It's what God, the inside of us, the empowerment of God on the inside of us. We've, we've talked about it being a conferment. God has conferred this ability, this empowerment to rise to the place he's called us to, much like the king confers the night so he can then he tells him to rise so he can be all that a night is supposed to be so we've already been conferred i love it the bible says this in galatians 3 13 and 14 christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree why that the blessing of abraham might come on the gentiles through christ jesus that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith you and i have the blessing of Abraham. He was blessed. The Lord came and blessed him. He was blessed. We have that blessing in our lives. Because of Jesus, we are blessed. It comes on us because he, because he put it on us and it exists inside of us. All right? The Bible says this in, in Deuteronomy 28, 13. This is from the New English Translation. It says, The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always end up on the top and not the bottom if you obey his commandments, which I'm urging you today to be careful to do, because his blessing is in our lives. He will make sure we wind up on the top. 
The problem that Christians have is that we don't understand there's a fight to fight. We don't understand there's an enemy out there to fight. And most Christians are totally shocked and surprised when things get tough. Well, I thought if I went to church this week, I wouldn't have a bad week. I thought if I would just read my Bible for 30 minutes every day, then I wouldn't have any problems. Let me just tell you something. The devil knows that most Christians think that way, so he brings them. The scripture says in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Most Christians think it's strange that they have to go through a hard time. No, no. The, the, the life of faith is not to avoid the storms. It's to get through them to the other side. It's to, be, it's to arrive at the place that Jesus has called us to arrive. Remember, our job is we are attacking the gates of hell. We're not in the defensive posture. As believers, we should be in the offensive posture. Jesus said in times of trouble, we're to be of good cheer. And in, in the Amplified says, take courage and be confident. You and I, these ought to be the most confident days of our lives. We ought to be in good cheer because we're really on the right side. We're on the winning team. We need to be who we're supposed to be. I mean, the world system, it's going to fail. They are not our source. The government of the United States, as wonderful as, as it is, is not my source. They'll never be our source. God is our source. He is our only source. He's the only one that we can trust in, the only one we can rely on. Yes, we're going to pray, and we're going to believe God to do in this nation what he wants to do. But we've got to take a stand. And we can't be afraid to do what we're supposed to do. We're in a war. We need to be willing to stand because we are the blessed of God. We are the called of God, and we will win. Reminds me of a story I heard one time that the CIA had an opening for an assassin. So they had all these background checks, and they had all these interviews, and they, they, they wound up with three finalists. There were two men and one woman, and they were, gonna, they were, they were now going to have their final test to see who could be the assassin for the CIA. All right, so, so for the final test, they took the first of the men into a large, uh, behind a, a large metal door, and they handed him a gun. He said, he, know, he said, we must know that you'll follow our instructions no matter what the circumstances. He said, inside this room, you're going to find your wife sitting in a chair. Killer. So the guy said, you can't be serious. I could never kill my wife. And the agent said, well, then you're not the right man for the job. They let him go. The second guy, they bring him in, and they said, okay, here's your assignment. we got to know if you're going to be the right man for the job. He gave him the same, same instructions, so the guy takes the gun. He goes in the room. It's all quiet for several minutes. He comes out sobbing. He said, I, I, can't, I can't kill my wife. And they said, well, you're not the man for the job. So they get his wife and take her, and they both go out. So they get to the woman. They gave her the exact same instructions. She took the gun. She went in the room. Well, they heard several shots, one after another. And then they heard screaming, crashing, and banging on the walls. After a few minutes, everything got quiet. The door opened. Out comes the woman. She wiped the sweat from her brow, and she said, you didn't tell me the gun was loaded with blanks. I had to beat him to death with a chair. <laughs> We, we need to... Be, I realize it was not politically correct. I understand that. We've got to be willing to take God's word and stay with it until we've defeated the devil. We can't give up along the way. I mean, we've got to fight a fight of faith. We talked about last time how that, that, that God 
never in the New Testament, it never does it tell us to pray to God to defeat the devil for us. It never says that. We found out a time before that. The Bible never tells us to ask God to move a mountain for us. It tells us we're to move the mountains. It tells us we have authority over the devil. Our job is to enforce what God has told us to do. We've been reading this passage of Scripture for several weeks now out of Mark chapter 9, verse 22. The Scripture says this out of the Amplified Bible. It says, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus has come down the mountain. He's been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down, he's kind of glowing, and, and, and the disciples are trying to cast out a demon. They can't get it out of the guy. They're trying hard. They can't get it out. And so Jesus, you know, talks to him and finally says, what's going on? The father says he's got this demon. It's throwing him on the ground and all this stuff. And the guy gives this long picture of how hopeless it is. He said, your disciples couldn't help me. He said, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' answer. He said, you say to me, if I can do anything, why, all things are possible to him that believes. He said, the guy says, if you can do something, help us. Jesus says, if I can do something, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So we've been talking about supernatural and, and understanding that, that if we're going to see the supernatural power of God, we're going to have to decide that the devil is no longer in charge. We're going to have to decide that we have authority. So we've been talking about that. Many people say that miracles have passed away. I heard somebody say one time, miracles passed away with the last apostle. And I'm just thinking, well, who was that? And were they like in line waiting and finally one died? Okay, no more miracles. How, how do they decide? And yet, the same people who say that, they pray that somehow in their prayers that God will intervene in their, in their affairs. And they, they know they need a miracle. The Bible it's pretty clear in the fact that it says that God never changes. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that has always been the M.O. of God, the supernatural, the miraculous. That was the M.O. of Jesus in the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So why would we think that it would pass away? The Bible is filled with the supernatural power of God being released in behalf of his covenant partners. Why would that have changed? Why would anybody have a theology that it changed? Well, yeah, but they didn't have the Bible. And we do, so we don't need the miracles. That is a bunch of bull. You know what? I mean, the, 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 scripture, the scripture brings faith to us. And what, it, what is the purpose of faith? The, faith? the purpose of faith is to release the power of God through his grace into the situations that we face. I mean, that's the purpose of it. The Bible is the source of faith. I mean, in today's world, we don't have less of a reason to expect the miraculous. We have more of a reason to expect the miraculous. We can see from Jesus' words that all things are possible to him that believes. We have the word. We, it's easier for us to believe than anyone else ever has been to believe. We have so many translations of the Bible, it is unbelievable. That's the thing I can't believe is how many there are. I mean, there's a whole wall of Bibles in the, in the Christian bookstore, and I mean, they're just different version after different version. There's the old lady version. There's the youth version. There's the, I don't know, the jogger version. There's just everybody's version of the Bible. 
And they're all different ones. Listen, we need to have... When Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes, believe what? Believe God's word. Believe what God has said. Believe his promise. I mean, the things that, that, that the Bible that Jesus is referring to are the things that are promised to God's people. All right, Jesus is telling the man that needs a miracle, he can have one if he can believe. That's the only prerequisite, if he can believe. All right, if the saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament needed the power of God manifested in their situations, we need it more. I mean, I don't know if you realize this or not, the world's population at the time Jesus walked the earth was about 200 million people. Today there are almost 8 billion people. That's a lot of people. Over 3 billion of those people have never one time heard the name of Jesus. Not one time. The vast majority of the world, they've never made Jesus the Lord of their lives. It's going to take a miracle to get the gospel to all of those people. I mean, it's going to take a miracle. Oh, well, yeah, but they can watch Christian TV. Most of them don't have TVs. <laughs> and those that do don't have Christian programming. I mean, we're thinking, well, yeah, but they can get on the Internet. They don't have it. You and I, we live in this world where we have the internet, we have the television, you know, we can watch preachers and all. They don't have it. And then they don't understand the language that's being preached in any way. It's going to take a miracle to reach those people. And yet, the scripture says, when we get to heaven, they'll be there from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth. Somehow, somebody from every people group is going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. It's going to take a miracle. Jesus commissioned the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living person. It's going to take a miracle. In our nation, things seem to be getting worse and worse. People seem to be straying further and further from our foundation. We need God in America. They need God in the world. We need him here. And it's going to take a miracle. In our lives, there's so much more to do. In receiving God's promises, all that he's promised us in our own lives, the healings, the deliverances, all those things, it's going to take a miracle. We don't need less supernatural. We need more supernatural. We need God to move. We have a mandate from God to be people that demonstrate the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. The only difference between us and all the other religions that have their little black books that they can hold up is that Jesus is alive and the supernatural happens through believers to and through us. You see, we, we've got to live in this supernatural reality and demonstrate to the, to the world that we can have different results than what they have because of the impossible that he makes possible. Man, all we, we were supposed to believe. In, in our own country, most have heard some form of the gospel, but very few have seen it demonstrated. That Jesus is alive. I remember as a teenager, I went to this girl's house one time, and I'd received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we had gone to a denominational church with her and her parents. And this guy, I'll never forget, he asked me, he said, What proof do you have that this thing is real? Well, all I knew is what happened to me. So I said, Stick at your arms. And the guy sticks at his arms, they're two different lengths. And I said, In the name of Jesus, I command this arm to be the same length as this arm. 
And I mean, his arm grew out that fast. And the guy says, golly. <laughs> now, he didn't, he didn't receive the fullness of the Spirit then, but he never argued with me again. Listen, a miracle settles the issue. And when God is demonstrated, when Jesus is demonstrated alive, it makes all the difference. Now, over the past few weeks, we saw that through his partners, God will change the course of nature. We saw, we saw Joshua say, son, stand still. He operated in supernatural authority. And he took authority over the situation. We saw that Elijah, he, he just took authority when he... When he, when he worked against the prophets of Baal, and, and I mean, he just he just said, y'all offer a sacrifice, I'll, I'll offer one. And he made fun of their God, and then, then God rained down fire. We saw that, that Moses took control, and that's the deal. The devil is like Goliath. In our world, it's like Goliath. They're making the rules. Remember Goliath? He made the rules. He came and said, you do this, and we'll do this, and this is what's going to happen. And I always read that, and I told you this. How did he get to make the rules? <laughs> then David came along and operated. He took control of the situation. Mm -hmm. And when he took godly control, everything changed. Mm -hmm. We need to learn how to be people who operate in the supernatural. So tonight I'm going to give you a, a real key to operating in the supernatural. So we, we, we've got to see God move in our society. Listen to these verses of Scripture. This is from Psalm 136, verse 1, 1 through 4. And I know you've heard this. You just may not know it's in Psalm 136. The scripture says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, this is verse 4. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, the, Psalm 136 is where that is. It has 26 verses. Every verse ends with the phrase, for his mercy endureth forever. Mm -hmm. His mercy endures forever. The theme of that psalm is the mercy of God. He is good because he is merciful. I think we all just need to thank God for his mercy. Mm -hmm. His mercy. But I want you to look at verse 4 with me again. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. There's a big connection in that verse between the supernatural and his mercy. It says, to him alone who does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. We must be believers in the supernatural power of God so that it will be made manifest so his mercy can come to hurting people. His mercy. People need mercy. And it's going to take the supernatural power of God. I don't know about you, I'm thankful for his mercy. I mean, we went to church last Sunday morning in, in, in Mesa, Arizona, Went to Hillsong Church with my daughter and, and son-in-law and my two grandchildren. And I watched them worship God. And I was so thankful for his mercy. You know, everybody wants their kids to worship the Lord. But, you know, my grandson's been through a hard time. 
But he's worshiping God. He's a leader in their youth group. His mercy. Anyway, I'm thankful for mercy. Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23 says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. There's a statement for you. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed. I mean the word consumed means finished. If it went for his mercy, we'd be done. His mercies are new every morning. Every day. We can wake up to a whole new load of mercies. It's available every day. If there's mercy... Based on Psalm 136.4, if there's mercy, there's supernatural power of God to be made manifest in our lives. I'm telling you, it's, it's supernatural that we have mercy. It's supernatural that God operates in his mercy in our lives. I mean, God will move in behalf of his covenant partners because he is kind. He is good. He is merciful. He is, he is very good. The word mercy here means kindness. Mm-hmm. Kindness. The Hebrew word is also translated favor, goodness, kindly, loving kindness, merciful kindness, <laughs> mercy, pity. God's mercy is his kindness. He wants kindness to come to people. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. What does mercy look like? What does it even look like? I'm going to read you a passage from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. What does mercy look like? Now, David has become the king by this time. And it says, And David said, Is there yet any left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, that's interesting. Saul tried to kill David all those years. And it says, And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? He said, He said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there any, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Maker, in in the son of uh, Amiel in Lodabar. The king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, said, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore to thee the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. This story is a picture of mercy. It's all about mercy. Saul's house is a picture of fallen man. Born, created to reign, and yet Sin separated man away from his his assignment. Remember, Saul was the king, and he was assigned the job of killing all the Amalekites by Samuel the prophet. And Saul and all their animals. And Saul Saul goes to war. He forgot all of it because he didn't kill all of the cows. They were having a barbecue with some of the some of them, but some of them were still some of the sheep were still bleeding. And Saul was supposed to kill Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and he didn't do it. And Samuel comes up. And, and, and he, he says, he says why, why am I hearing these sheep? Why didn't you do what God said to do? And Samuel said, well, I mean, Saul said, well, I didn't think you were coming. It's like, I didn't know anybody was watching. I thought I could do what I wanted to do. I didn't think you were coming. 
And Samuel said to Saul, he said, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being the king. And so that sin separated Saul from, from what he was called to do. Mephibosheth is the son of, of David's covenant partner, Jonathan, who's the son of King Saul. So Saul's house is a picture of fallen man. David's house is a picture of the kingdom of God. And that's the picture that's being painted here. The kingdom of God is, is what that shows us. It's always God's intent to show goodness to fallen man. That's mercy. That's what God wants to do. Mephibosheth is, 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 is out there, and David asked how he might show kindness. The word kindness in the Hebrew is the same as the word mercy that we saw in, in Psalm 136. He says, I need to, is there anybody in, they, in, in, in Saul's house that I can show mercy to? I want to show him mercy. He wanted to give kindness to Mephibosheth. He's in the desert. He's hiding out from the king. He, Mephibosheth thinks he's, he's an outcast. And all the while, the king had already made a blood covenant that made Mephibosheth a partner at his table. See, because David and Jonathan, the Bible says in the King James, says they made covenant. Literally, the word made says they cut covenant. David and Jonathan had, had cut their wrists and mingled their blood together, and they made covenant with one another, a blood covenant that was unbreakable. They made a covenant. Mephibosheth is living out without. He's living in hiding. He's living afraid to see the face of the king, and yet he already has a blood covenant with the king. He already has a standing invitation to come, and he didn't know it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't even do anything to get it. But there's a blood covenant. It's already been cut on his behalf. This is what mercy is. I mean, we ought to be treated like enemies, but we're welcomed at the king's table. He receives us. We ought to have to forfeit everything, but he's made us partakers of everything that he has. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. That he is our elder brother. We ought to be counted as losers, but he's restored us as if we never sinned. And we have the invitation to sit at his table. That's the old covenant. That's pretty good. Mercy. The Bible says, though, we have a better covenant built on better promises. So what does the New Testament say about mercy? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Verse 27. And the supernatural always comes with mercy. It's always there. Matthew 29, verse 27. Matthew 9, verse 27. Matthew 9, 27. When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now when they said son of David, they were calling him Messiah. Because that was the title for the Messiah. So they come and they say, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Believe ye that I'm able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. Now what were they asking for? Mercy. 
They said, Son of David, have mercy. What did mercy mean to them? It meant to be able to see. They were blind. They're asking him for mercy. Mercy meant sight. Mercy in the New Testament and mercy to Jesus was more than just being kind to them. It involved supernatural power. Mercy in the New Covenant is doing something about their misery. Doing something more. The only way to do something about the misery that these people had was to, was to operate somehow in the supernatural. They recognized him as the son of David. And everything that Jesus did as the, son of, as the son of David, or as he called himself the son of man, he did it as a man. He didn't do it as God. The Bible says he left all of that and he became a man. John 5, 19, Jesus said, Verily I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. Jesus said, I can only do what, the father, what I see the father doing. He couldn't just go around doing his own deal. In John 6, 38, he said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 14, verse 10, Jesus said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Jesus is saying, I'm doing this as a man. Believe me, he said, that I am in the Father, the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sakes. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than he shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's he talking about? He's talking about, he's saying, he's saying I, I'm not doing this of my own accord. I do what the Father tells me to do. He said, and, and, and guess what? That's what you get to do. Whatever you see the Father do, that's what you get to do. That's what's expected of us, is to have this relationship with God and to have this love for people the way he had mercy. And when God does it, we do it too. This is the way Jesus had mercy. That's the way we're supposed to have mercy, is we see God. We have to, we have to be in this walk understanding that it's God's power, but he releases it through us. The word mercy in the New Testament is the Greek word elieo. And the word elieo means to compassionate. That's an interesting word. It refers to a deep-seated and unsettling emotion that a person feels when he's seen or heard something that is terribly sad or upsetting. It refers to more, though, than just pity or empathy. It speaks not just to the emotion, but the compulsion to do something about the problem. That's what mercy is in the New Testament, doing something. To compassionate, that is the understanding that empathy for the suffering of others and helping them come out of this, helping them come out of that suffering. It speaks of compassion. Compassion comes from the Latin, which means to co-suffer. It's more than just expressing a feeling, but it's arising and actively doing something about the suffering of another person. Mercy has to do with arising, not sitting, not feeling sorry, but arising and doing something. Mercy is arising and doing something. In Jesus' case, mercy was releasing the supernatural power of heaven on these people's suffering. And he did and he spoke only what he saw the Father say and do. They came and said, we need mercy. And Jesus said, do you believe I can do it? They said, yeah. And he said, okay, 
according to your faith, be it unto you. That was mercy. That was mercy. He released the supernatural power of God. Jesus displayed the mercy of God through his faith for the impossible. What they wanted was impossible. He knew that God loved people. He knew the people of his day had been condemned by the law because that's what the, the, the priest preached to them. And he came preaching good news. He, in his first sermon, first sermon ever, he, the full sermons that you see, he preached, he preached, blessed are they. Blessed are they. All they heard was cursed are you. Cursed are you. But he came preaching blessing. And he came demonstrating mercy. Mercy. So we've got to learn how to arise to mercy. So the, God, the, the love of God can be demonstrated to people. Jesus said in Matthew 5, that sermon I was talking about, he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He said, The merciful are those that practice giving mercy. <laughs> Sometimes there's not a lot of mercy. The merciful are those that arise to mercy. In Matthew 8, 33, 1833, Jesus said in one of his parables, He says, Shouldst not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant? Even as I had pity on you. The word compassion and the word pity are the Greek word elieo, which talks about mercy. Sadly, a lot of Christians aren't very merciful. And we wonder why there's no supernatural power of God. Somebody gets in my parking space at church. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going there and they put him there. I cannot believe that. I'm going to block them in. They can't get out. <laughs> I'll show them. I mean, after church, you know, you let Christians go to the restaurant. How do they behave to the, toward the servers? I mean, what, what do they do? I mean, it's not just after church. What happens when you go see the server that, that, go to that restaurant in the middle of the week? How about when we're on the street? How do we act toward other drivers? Do we do we curse them? Or do we bless them? I know I'm stepping on everybody's toes in this room, more my own than anybody else's. What about the guy that messes up your order at the florist? Or the guy who didn't fix your car the way you thought it ought to be fixed? Or put the wrong name on the cake that you ordered at the bakery? We need to be people of mercy. Otherwise, when they need a miracle, mm. how will they know where to come to get one? That's good. That's good. If I've called them ugly names and I've threatened to call the president of the company because they forgot to put the comma where I needed it in my engraving, what happens? When they need mercy. Listen, they need to know that Christians hold the supernatural power of God in them. And when I give mercy and they need a miracle, they're going to know where to come. See, if we want the supernatural, we're going to have to arise to mercy. 
being compassionate. We've got to be willing to love people to the degree that they'll come and they know that we can call on the supernatural power of God on their behalf. <coughs> do you realize there are people out there who have no voice with God? But you and I do. They don't deserve it and neither do we. But mercy draws supernatural power. Man, we can believe for their healing. We can believe for their deliverance. And we can minister Jesus to them and they can see his power in demonstration because we simply have mercy. So we need to arise to mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for the mercy that we've received. I thank you, God, that we deserve to be stranded out in the desert somewhere. We deserve nothing from you. But in your mercy, your kindness, you made a blood covenant that is unbreakable. And that if we by faith will come to you, God, we can eat at your table. And we can partake of the supernatural power of the Son of David, the Messiah. And that, Jesus, you've empowered us to be your agents of mercy in a world that's hurting. People who need mercy. I pray, my Father, that you will take us this week to people who are crying out for mercy. And that we can be your agents of the delivering of mercy and your supernatural power. In Jesus' name, amen.